You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. Like I said during the welcome, it's good to be back with you. I uh, have been away for a couple of weeks. I take a study leave uh, typically each July, and people often ask me, like, what does that mean? What is a study leave? And I sort of say it's a break from preaching so that I can get ready to preach some more. It's really what it is. But I'm grateful to our preaching team uh, who shared the Word of God over the month of July, and it's good to be back. I am always a little bit nervous my first Sunday back from a study leave because I sort of feel like, what if I forgot how to do this? We're about to find out, but I always kind of have this fear. What if I forgot how to do this? So we'll see. A uh, couple of quick comments before we look at our text for the morning. First, please remember that in the month of August, we're doing a final push for phase one. If you're one of our gospel partners, you've heard about this via email. You'll hear about it for a few more weeks. We're hoping and praying to raise an additional $50,000 between now and the end of August so that we can finish up some very important projects in phase one. It's going to be a good long break before we talk about phase two, months, maybe even years. But we've got a couple of projects in phase one that we would really like to get done. So we're asking you, our gospel partners, to pray about what the Lord is calling you to do. Would you be willing to make a generous, a sacrificial gift toward phase one in the month of August. Also, next Sunday, I'm going to be kicking off a new series called Who Am I? It's going to be a study of the book of Ephesians. This is a series that you're going to want to be present for. Uh, this is perhaps the most important question of our day, the question of identity. Who Am I? I won't say much more about the series. I think the picture uh, speaks for itself. But be in prayer about that and plan to join us beginning next week as we start a study of the book of Ephesians. Today we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can turn there with me. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. There are Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. You can grab one now or you can grab one on your way out of worship today. And that's our gift to you and no strings attached. Just a free gift. Um, and if you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for His people, so listen carefully to this reading of His Word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, today we are talking about family discipleship. Family discipleship. For the last five years or so here at Faith Church, we have had five core values. Or you could think of these as our top ministry priorities. For the past five years, these five things have been what makes us, us. And these five core values are gospel centrality, the gospel is everything, the good news never becomes old news around here, authentic community, the gospel unites us, 
total transformation, the gospel transforms us and everything about us. Local engagement through us, the gospel changes our community and global involvement. Through us, the gospel advances to the entire world. Today, we are adding a new core value. Now, when I say new, what I really mean is we're bringing this new core value to the forefront of our thinking. This value has always been implicit here at Faith Church, but for a variety of reasons, we feel that now is the time to make it explicit. And this new core value is family discipleship. The gospel begins at home. Here's exactly what we mean by family discipleship. Here's our summary paragraph of this core value. We believe that God created us male and female. That marriage is the union of one man and one woman for life. That understanding and application of the gospel begin at home. And that the father is intended to be the family shepherd. Because God designed the family to be the primary context for discipleship, we strive to keep families together as much as possible, incorporating children into worship and the overall life of the church at an early age. Now, this summary paragraph covers a lot of terrain, doesn't it? Talks about basic statements here about what we believe about gender. God created us male and female. What we believe about marriage, it's the union of one man, one woman for life. What we believe about male headship or spiritual leadership in the family, the father is intended to be the family shepherd. Dad, you are pastor, dad. And what we believe about the primary context for discipleship, that is the home. Now, in the Who Am I series, the study of Ephesians, we'll get into some of these other matters. We'll flesh out what we believe about gender and marriage and these other things. But today, I want us to focus on the home being the primary context for discipleship. So here's my thesis statement this morning. The one main point that I'm going to contend for, it's short and sweet. Parents, you are disciple-makers. Parents, you are disciple-makers. The home is the primary context for discipleship. The purpose of the family is to make disciples. Now, here at the outset, we should probably remind ourselves, because these are, these are hot topics today, right? We should remind ourselves that the family is a divinely ordained community. You with me on that? The family is a divinely ordained community. Mere creatures don't get to define the family. That's not how that works. God designed, invented, created the family at the beginning of the world. He defines it and He directs it. He tells us what the family is and what the family exists to do. Congress couldn't take a vote on what the family is, no more than it could vote on whether or not the law of gravity exists. Now, Congress can decide whatever it wants about gravity, and people may go out and leap off of buildings, and for a moment, those jumpers might have a sensation of liberty. We're free! But it does absolutely nothing to change the law 
of gravity, what God has decreed to be true. It's the same with the family. God has defined the family, and he tells us why the family exists. And he makes it very clear in his word that the family exists for discipleship. Parents, you are disciple makers. Now, I want us to see this for ourselves today. And I want us to feel just how important this really is. How do we change our society? How do we rebuild the ruins of society? By forming our families. The family is the cornerstone of society. How do we win the spiritual war? By training our own platoons. I want us to feel how important this is as we prepare to open God's Word. And I want to take this talk in three steps this morning. I want you to see for yourself, first of all, the biblical foundation for this idea of family discipleship. So we'll start there, biblical foundation. But then I also want you to see some sociological findings. See, there's this common assumption today that the world is just falling apart. Parents are the bad guys. You know, talk to everybody, kids, except for your parents. Just don't talk to them, whatever you do. Parents are the bad guys, or they're just irrelevant. They can't really do anything to shape their children. That's an assumption that according to empirical research is actually very, very false. So we're going to look at some social, sociological findings, some serious research that's been done on this topic of the family. And parents, you're going to discover today just how influential you really are. And then in the end, I want to give you some practical helps, some things you can take away and implement in your own home. So the biblical foundation, sociological findings, and practical helps. That's where we're going. You ready? Here we go. First, the biblical foundation. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a well-known passage of Scripture, but we should pause for just a second and situate this passage within the overarching story of Scripture. So where exactly are we in the unfolding drama of redemption as we come here to Deuteronomy 6? Well, the word or the name Deuteronomy gives us a hint. The name Deuteronomy means second law. Second law law. But it's, it's not a giving of a new law, you know, out with the old, in with the new. It's really a second giving of the law. It's a restatement of God's law for his people. Now that should cause us to ask the question, well, why did there need to be a second giving, a restatement of the law? Think back to the book of Exodus for just a moment. In the book of Exodus, God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt. He takes them to Mount Sinai, where he reveals himself in thunder and lightning as a visible representation of his, his power and his holiness. And God then tells his people what it means to be holy like he is holy. He gives the people the law, the heart of which is the Ten Commandments. Fast forward now to the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, God's people travel from that mountain, Mount Sinai, to the border of the land that God had promised to give them. But when they get there, they're afraid. God had promised to give them the land, but the people were afraid. And so they did not go into the land to take it. They doubted the goodness and the faithfulness of God. They became disgruntled. They complained that God had brought them this far just to let them die 
And so God made a vow that none of his people would enter into that promised land. For 40 years, the faithless generation wandered and wandered and wandered until every last one of them was gone. Deuteronomy, then, is a giving of the law to the new generation. In a way, it's a new beginning. It's a new beginning. The book of Deuteronomy is a series of sermons preached by Moses to God's people, calling the people to learn from the failures of their ancestors and to remain faithful to the one true God. So it's in this context that Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Like I said, probably the best-known passage in the book of Deuteronomy, one of the best-known passages in the entire Bible. In the New Testament, Jesus quotes this as the greatest commandment, none greater than this. It's known as the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear. Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is but one true God. And there is but one fitting response to this God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Love is the second imperative here. The first is hear. Hear, O Israel. Love the Lord your God. Now the simple fact that love is commanded in the Bible means that it must be, it must be more than an emotion. You can't command a feeling. In the Bible, love is more than a feeling. It's a commitment, an allegiance, a total allegiance to the one true God. Notice in verse 5, these three terms that are used. Think of them as concentric circles, each one a sphere of human existence. Starting from the inside and working out, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, heart, it's more than just what we feel with. It's really more how we would use the terms heart and mind today. You feel with your heart. You think with your heart. You act from your heart. It's the control center of life. Your heart is your deepest you. Love the Lord your God with your deepest you. That's the first circle. The next one out, love the Lord your God with your soul. The better translation here is your person, your whole self, everything you are. And then finally, love the Lord your God with all your might. Now, I think here the better translation is resources, which certainly would include our might, our physical strength, our physical resources, but it also includes our financial resources our relationships, everything that the Lord has entrusted us with. And in the context of this passage, I think a key point here is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our resources, including our family. So we could bring out the point by paraphrasing verse 5 like this. Love the Lord your God, parents, with all your children. Maybe you've never thought of it in those terms. Love the Lord your God with all your children. 
with your whole family. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Moses tells us in verses 6 to 9. He continues, These words that I command to you today shall be on your hearts. Now here it becomes really clear that Moses is talking to parents. Parents, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents, you are disciple makers. We, parents, are required to do four things here. Four actions are required of us. Notice the shalls. You shall teach your children diligently. Teach them about God, God's world, and our place within it. You shall talk with your children. Now, if teaching highlights these intentional moments of instruction, maybe around the dinner table at night with our Bibles open, then talking really captures everything else, all of the unplanned opportunities of the day. The greatest spiritual work happens in the ordinary moments of domestic life. As you're walking with your children, as you're making breakfast in the morning, brushing your teeth at night, cleaning up the mess in the house, talking with our children about God. You shall bind and you shall write. Now, this is, this is a bit odd when you think about it, really. We're being commanded here to bind God's Word on our bodies and even to write God's Word above the door of our home Now, whether we're to take this literally or figuratively, the point really is the same, and that is this. Everything about your home, everything, all the way down to the decoration, the instruction, the conversations you have there, the decoration, everything should testify to your identity as the people of God. We are marked. Our homes, our families are marked as people who belong to the one true God. Parents, you are disciple makers. Now, maybe you hear that and you think, well, hang on a second. I thought that's what the church was for, right? Don't we talk a lot around here about making disciples? Isn't that what we have pastors and youth pastors and children's pastors for? In fact, aren't you guys, you know, the professionals on stage, aren't you way more effective at reaching and teaching the next generation? Aren't we as parents, and certainly we as grandparents, aren't we just out of touch, irrelevant and therefore ineffective? Actually, no, not at all. I want us to shift now into those sociological findings that I mentioned earlier. And I want to talk specifically about two recent books that have come out. Both of these, by the way, are serious scholarly studies of this subject of family discipleship. The first one is published by Princeton University Press. The second one by Oxford University Press. Behind both studies is a man named Christian Smith. You might remember his name from the generosity experiment that we talked about a couple of years ago. 
Christian Smith is a world-renowned sociology professor at the University of Notre Dame. So these findings and facts that I'm about to share with you, these are not like gathered from a Wikipedia entry or from some blogger who fancies himself a researcher. Okay, these are serious academic studies. And here's what I want you to see, parents. They point to the importance of you more than anyone else. This first book is called Religious Parenting, Transmitting Faith and Values in Contemporary America. And here's what the authors say in the introduction. It's a bit of a lengthy quote, but hang with me. It's important. The single most powerful causal influence on the religious lives of American teenagers and young adults is the religious lives of their parents. Not their peers, not the media, not their youth group leaders or clergy, not their religious school teachers. Myriad studies show that beyond a doubt, the parents of Americans play the leading role in shaping the character of their religious and spiritual lives, even well after they leave home, and often for the rest of their lives. Furthermore, this parental influence has not declined in effectiveness since the 1970s. Some American parents seem to think that they lose most of their influence over their children around the early teen years, and more than a few American teenagers act as if their parents no longer matter much in their lives. But in most cases, those are cultural myths belied by the sociological facts. The whole study points to you, parents. You are the most influential person in your child's life. And here's another example. The second study is called Handing Down the Faith, how parents pass their religion on to the next generation. This one was published just last year. Very similar conclusions. All research in the United States today shows clearly that parents are by far the most important factor influencing their children's religion, not only as youth, but also after they leave home. Not clergy, religious schools, youth ministers, neighborhoods, Sunday school, mission trips, service projects, summer camps, peers, or the media. Parents, that is who matters here and now. Parents, you are disciple makers. This study, Handing Down the Faith, goes on to talk about some of the most effective ways to transmit truth to the next generation. I want to mention just very quickly seven of their findings. This will be very relevant for you parents. The first one is that truth is best transmitted in the context of healthy relationships between parents and their children. The relational aspect is key. Second, conversational delivery is more effective than lectures. And the most effective conversations are the children-initiated ones. Look, I knew I was going to be preaching this this week, and I swear this week it seemed like my children asked me a thousand questions. All week long they came to me with questions. And in the back of my mind I was just thinking, these children-initiated conversations, these are the most effective opportunities I have. I know we get busy with a number of things each day, but parents, carve out the time to field your children's questions. Talk about the things they want to talk about. That's the opportune moment. Third, the role of fathers 
is especially important in forming children spiritually. Look, there's, there's nothing Christian about this study. Again, this is an academic Oxford University Press thing. There's nothing Christian about this. But they're showing us exactly what God declares to be true in His Word. Fathers, you have a special role to play in the home. It's, now, it's not downplaying what the mom does. But generally speaking, as the father goes, so goes the family. So goes the family. Fourth, two-parent households where the parents share and practice the same faith are most effective in handing down the faith. Notice that. Share and practice. Now to those families out there, those households that are single-parent households, let me say this to you. This does not mean that discipleship, family discipleship, is impossible for you. It does mean it will be more difficult. And we are here to help you. You're not alone. We're here to help. Fifth, grandparents and sometimes other family members are influential in forming children spiritually. Grandparents, don't underestimate your influence. You're not out of touch. You're not irrelevant. Don't underestimate your influence. Sixth, faith is most effectively handed down by parents who are intentional and consistent. This is the key in both word and deed. Our parents need to see us practicing our faith, and they need to hear us talking about it. We'll come back to that point momentarily. Seventh and finally, children influence the faith of their parents reciprocally. So here's the way it works. Our children ask us those questions, and as we enter into those conversations with them, we help each other grow. You know what happens when my son comes to me and asks me to explain the doctrine of the Trinity? I actually grow in my understanding of the Trinity. Because I'm now having to take this very complex, crucial doctrine of the Christian faith and explain it in child-friendly terms. I grow in my understanding. We influence each other. One final quote from the book, the most practical takeaway. If there were only one practical takeaway, the authors say, from our research, it would be this. Parents need not only to walk the walk but also regularly to talk with their children about their walk, what it means, why it matters, why they care. So what does God's word require of us? What's the biblical foundation in Deuteronomy? We saw it. The requirement is regular conversations in the context of our home, our family, about God, God's world and our place in it. And what does the sociological research show us is the most effective way to transmit the faith? Well, what do you know? Regular conversations in the context of our homes about God, God's world, and our place within it. So what you need then, in closing, is you need some practical helps. I wouldn't be a very good pastor if I just gave you all this information and then armed you with absolutely nothing to go and take with you back to your own home. So let me give you, in closing, some practical helps. The practical helps that we are going to provide will come in the form of what we're going to call the Family Discipleship Guide. The Family Discipleship Guide. If you have already gone to our website, faithrs.org, and signed up for our weekly email, then beginning tomorrow and each Monday thereafter, you will receive, delivered straight to your devices, that week's Family Discipleship 
guide. If you've not yet signed up for our emails, you should do so today, faithrs.org. Just scroll down on the homepage, type in your name, your email address, and then every Monday you will receive these. And let me also say this. These are designed especially, though not exclusively, for parents. You tracking with me on that? These are designed especially, though not exclusively, for parents. So if you're an individual or a couple who does not yet have children or a couple whose children are grown out of the house, this can still be a very effective devotional tool for you to use in your own home. The Family Discipleship Guide will have four main parts. Let me tell you very briefly about each one of them. The first one is the catechism. This will be the same catechism question that we go over in corporate worship each Sunday morning. So that question that we kicked off our worship time with from the New City Catechism for Children, that's the one we'll be using for about the next year. One question per week. A catechism is an ancient, ancient tool, a tried and true method of teaching the core truths of the Christian faith in very short sentences, question and answer style. So you'll receive a catechism question each week that you can then gather around the dinner table at night with your children or whenever you meet, and you can review that question and maybe even commit it to memory throughout the week, discussing it together. The second thing you'll find in this family discipleship guide is a statement known as a confession. Now, sometimes we use the word confession, meaning we're going to confess our sins. This is a different sense of the word here. A confession of faith is very similar to a catechism. The difference is, if a catechism is a short sentence to be memorized, a confession is more like a paragraph that is to be read and discussed. So we'll be using the Westminster Confession of Faith for the next good little while here, which is our doctrinal standard in the EPC, our denomination or network of churches. Each week in that family discipleship guide, right after your catechism question, you'll have one paragraph from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now, if you've subscribed to the Midgard podcast, the podcast that I do every Wednesday morning, you'll know that one of the sections of that podcast is me teaching through the Westminster Confession of Faith. That will now line up with this family discipleship guide. So on Monday morning, you receive your family discipleship guide via email. On Wednesday mornings, you can listen to the Midgard podcast, and I will teach through that same exact section of the Westminster Confession. Then, parents, you will be better armed to sit down at the dinner table on Wednesday night or whenever and talk with your children about what this portion of the Westminster Confession means, what it's teaching us about God, God's world, and our place within it. The third major part of this guide will be prayer prompts that we're going to give you to guide your family prayer times throughout the week. One of the things that will be included is the name of five individuals or families within Faith Church. So we'll be praying for each other throughout the week. You'll also have the nation of the week, the same nation we pray for on Sunday mornings when we gather for corporate worship. So throughout this next week, you'll be praying for Serbia. And there will be a link to a website where if you want to learn more about what's happening with Christians in Serbia, you can go to that link and learn how you can pray uh, for that specific nation. So you see this is all kind of set up in a systematic way. Just like we pray for a nation each week. And you know what we're going to do after we've prayed for all the nations of the world? You know what we're going to do? We're going to pray for them all again. And we're going to pray for them all again. And we're going to do the same thing with all the gospel partners of our church. We're going to pray for five folks this week. We're going to do that until we get through the whole roll. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray for them all again. 
and our families can all participate in that together. And then the last thing that you're going to have in this guide is the scripture for the upcoming Sunday. Many of you have requested this. We're now going to include this in the family worship guide, the family discipleship guide that comes to you every Monday. So when it comes out tomorrow, you'll see that next Sunday I'll be preaching through the first part of Ephesians. Now, how might you use this in your family's life? Well, there are many, many ways. You could decide that on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you're going to take the catechism question on Monday nights at the dinner table. You're going to talk about the confession on Wednesday nights. And then on Friday nights, you're going to read that passage of Scripture that we'll be studying together on Sundays. And then maybe on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you focus on the prayer prompts for the week. There are many, many ways. Figure out a rhythm that works well for your family. And remember, the greatest spiritual work happens in those ordinary moments of domestic life. Many, many ways that you could do this. But the time is now. And the person is you. Parents, dads, moms, grandparents, you're the one. You're the one. Love the Lord your God with all your children. Make disciples of your family. And Faith Church is here to help you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to see what you have called us to as parents and as grandparents. It is indeed a confusing, complicated world in which we live. But we have great hope. We see, God, that you are in control of all things. And that includes the family. You are the designer and the director of the family. You have a good plan for us good purpose and that purpose is to make disciples I pray that right now you are working in the hearts especially today of the parents and grandparents aunts and uncles that are in our congregation that we will take this calling seriously and that humbly daily asking for your help and your grace we will begin to implement these family worship times or family discipleship times, whatever we prefer to call it, gathering around your word, praying, talking with each other. And God, I pray that you will use these tools to transform our families and our church family as a whole. Work wonders in our midst, God, we pray. Expectantly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.